You know, this morning, Matt Cain prayed that God would anoint the words that went out from the pulpit. And I can say with confidence that God has already given us evidence that He has not only heard your prayers, Matt, but He has answered them. We are a church. AC Squared, we are a church that embraces the reality that the gifts of the Spirit are for everyone. Let me say that again. We are a church that embraces the reality that the gifts of the Spirit are for everyone. Everyone! And the evidence that God has not only blessed our church, but He is continuing to bless our church by growing the bench of preachers and teachers was made evident this morning as Leanna spoke to us. So thank you, Leanna. I'm excited to be here. When I hear messages like that, I am spiritually fed. I almost feel like I don't even need to say anything. You know, and God is like, no, 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 I'm going to use your message in conjunction with her message to feed my sheep. So get up there and be obedient and do what I asked you to do. And it's no different. It's no different whether you speak or whether I speak or whether another spirit-filled believer stands up in the room and speaks, we need to listen. Because God is in the business of changing and transforming us. He is not going to leave us where He found us. He refuses to leave us where He found us. He has so much more in store for us. And if we don't take up the truth of that reality and walk it out in the Spirit, we are going to miss so much that God has to offer us in this life. Not only will we miss it, but we will withhold it from the greater body because as He changes and transforms us, we are going to have more to offer the greater body, which is why we talk about being a family around here. Because we're not just a community of believers. Our relationships with one another are eternal because of the precious blood of the Lamb that redeemed us. So everyone in this room who claims Jesus is Lord, we are eternally connected by the blood and by the Spirit. And we know this because of the Word. There's no question for us in our minds. We have confidence in what it is that God is is communicating to us. We know and believe that it's the truth, which is why we strive to understand it on a deeper level. Why we come back here week after week after week. Why we listen to everybody expound their thoughts and their experiences in light of what it is that God says so that we can grow as a family. And we cannot abandon or marginalize that reality. That everyone's voice in this room is necessary. This is not just my pulpit. This is our pulpit because God has given it to us. Which is why we stand firm on the reality that the gifts of the Spirit are for everyone. It's a good morning today. It's a good day to be in the house of God. As a body of believers, right, we have come together and we're on the heels of Easter, one of the greatest 
quotation marks around that, holidays to celebrate. But do we actually celebrate and commemorate the true reason behind it? Or do we just get together because that's what we believe we're supposed to do? Well, I can tell you that here at AC Squared, we got together to celebrate and to commemorate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. The day that He overcame death and proved that if He could raise Himself from the dead, that would be our future too through faith in His Son. Amen? Amen. And we were here last week and the Gospel went out. 117 people in this building. That's like 40 more people than have ever been here. And do we care that we had record numbers? Well, yeah, we care, but not for the sake of the numbers. We care because we know that the Gospel went out with a high level of integrity and with zeal. That's why we care about the numbers being in the room. Because the people that were here that were not believers, they will never forget what they heard and they will never forget what they saw. And like I said, I'm praying that they will lose sleep over it until they come to faith in Jesus. That's it. That's why we're here. But I didn't just preach the Gospel with integrity and with zeal. Every person here who considers this to be their home church participated in the Gospel going out. Three fathers baptized their children. James Prim, you baptized Aaliyah. Josh Maxwell, you baptized Eli. And Tom, you baptized Sam. And I had the pleasure of baptizing Jocelyn, a young mother who I had the pleasure of meeting through our connection with Young Lives. My life was changed as a believer because of what took place last week. If my life was changed, I know God can change the unbelieving heart. He's raised me to newness of life and He's still transforming me. I'm like, God, do it for them just like you did it for me. And help me to remember to never lose sight of where you came, where you brought me from. I don't want to lose sight of where I came from. I want to remember where I came from so that when I interact with them, I still have some common ground. So that the gospel can go out in power from a foundation of love. It's not like I'm the only one speaking here. James, your words to your daughter bless me. Tom, your questions to your son bless me. Josh, the fact that you were here last Sunday and the fact that you're here today, it blesses me. God is changing me still through you. And it's a glorious experience. In my life, I have traveled the world. I've had some pretty crazy experiences Probably not so different than you and then in some ways very different from you. And God continues to blow my mind. So much to be grateful for. Categorically speaking, we could separate ourselves from just the idea of Easter for a second. I have a lot to be thankful for. This is one of the most generous body of believers that I've ever had the, 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 the opportunity to fellowship with. And because of your generosity... The founding families have decided to increase both the global and the local missions budgets that we operate from. Now, why is that worth mentioning? Because Easter was an evangelical opportunity for those who were lost, and it was, equi it was an equipping opportunity for those who were saved. Well, global and local missions plays right into that. We have a high view on missiology here. We do not play when it comes to missions. And because of your faithful generosity, the founding family said, it's enough. We're going to more than double the budgets of what we've been giving to global and local missions. Not only are we going to more than double the budgets, we're going to take on a new missionary, a local missionary, someone who means a lot to this body, Celeste Johnson. And if you guys want to know why we're supporting Celeste Johnson, here's my challenge to you. 
Go out of your way the next time she's here in church to ask her what it was that she sacrificed so that she could be obedient to God. Because when she tells you the story of what it was that she sacrificed so that she could be obedient to the call that God placed on her life, I believe that you'll partner with the church by giving and supporting her personally. Not just anticipating or expecting that the church would. Because she made a huge sacrifice. And if we need an example of what God will call us to give up, talk to her. Because he... I mean, she's been a Christian for a long time and she's been doing ministry for a long time and it was not too long ago that God said, I'm going to require more from you. She's like, what? Okay. Step out in full confidence that God will provide and He's doing that very thing. Talk to Celeste Johnson if you guys don't know her because her testimony and her story will change your life and transform the way you think the same way it's changed my life and the same way it continues to transform the way that I'm thinking. You guys are a faithful group of people who don't just show up, but you actually participate. And because of your generosity, Miss Deb Pepper was like, we need to go another step further. We can't just double the budgets or more than double them and take on a missionary. We need to be more transparent, Matt. She said we need to be more transparent. Every dollar that comes in, every dollar that goes out, every person in here should be able to see how we're spending that. And I said, you're right. So she created a financial statement. It's posted on the wall by the tithe box. Every dollar that comes in, every dollar that goes out is now your information just as much as it is our information. Hold us accountable. Yeah. So this breeds confidence and comfortability. Why those two things? Well, it breeds confidence for those who are already giving and it, it adds a level of comfort for those who are considering to give. Because if you want to know where your money's going... Now there's no questions. You brought it up. I said it last week. Part of our ethos here is to ask questions about everything that comes out of the mouth of the person preaching. Question everything. Challenge the status quo. Traditions of the church fathers, challenge them. Why? Because questions and, and challenges demand answers. And we're comfortable to say we don't, we, don't not, we don't necessarily know the answer to that question right now. But you know what? We'll find it. And then we will go, which causes them to return. Relationship. Conversation. Ongoing dialogue until the matter is settled. And we need to be comfortable existing in that type of environment. That's the type of environment that we are trying to breed here at AC Squared. One that breeds confidence and comfortability because we have integrity. We're not perfect. Just like you said. I'm gonna, probably going to... Just keep citing your message today. We're not perfect. And the expectation is not that we would be. But the perfect is that we would strive to be holy because the God who redeemed us is holy. Amen? Amen. Now we are in a sermon series on 1 Peter. This is sermon number 12. Which means we got 11 weeks in the bank of navigating our way through this letter. And we're in chapter 2. Because Peter has a lot to say in this letter. Now, before we go any further, I'm going to stop. We're going to pray, ask God's blessing on the Bible study, and then we'll charge forward. Father, thank You for what it is that You have already accomplished this morning. What it is that You did last week, over the last year, over the last 10 years of my life, the 15 years of Leanna's life. Lord, everyone in this room has a story like she said. And our stories reflect your glory. 
So we thank you, God, for what it is that you're doing. We ask that you would continue to do it, knowing that you will, because you are the faithful covenant-keeping God. Your chesed, Father. There is nothing that can stop it. And so, Father, we just submit our hearts and our minds to you this morning, and we pray, God, that you would do what only you can do. As your Spirit moves in our midst, reform the way that we think. Transform and soften our hearts, allowing us to image you better to one another and to the world that is lost and dying that you've called us to evangelize. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this may be the shortest sermon that I've ever written in my entire life. I don't know. It could be. We're in a sermon series on 1 Peter, like I just said. We're in week 12 of the series, and we're reading two verses today. Two verses. All right? A couple of reminders. When we see this word you here, Peter uses it in the plural, he doesn't use it in the singular. He's speaking to multiple churches throughout five different Roman provinces. Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So we can't read this individualistically because this was written to a multiplicity of church bodies that was made up of many living stones who were grounded on the living stone. Alright? All of these people are suffering. In 1 Peter, in chapter 5, Peter tells the church, Just as you are suffering, so the entire church is suffering. Suffering! So suffering is part of the occasion or the situation that gave birth to the letter that we are reading, which is why Peter is so bent on offering words of encouragement and words of exhortation. He's not playing. This is not a take it if you like it and leave it if you don't type of letter. This is a read it and allow this to become the standard in your life. Because this is what the Master taught. This is the doctrine of the Master. These are the thoughts of the Master. And I can say that, Peter would say, with confidence as probably Sylvanus is scribing the letter because he's filled with the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Okay? So we're going to pick it up in, second, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and we're going to read verse 11 and 12. Peter begins in verse 11, Beloved, by the way, we're starting a new section in the letter. I haven't spent any time on the outline in this study, but when we see this word beloved, for Peter it marks a new section in the letter. So he's kind of turned the corner, and then in chapter 4 he'll use the same term again, and he'll introduce the third section of the letter. So right now we're stepping into the second section of Peter's letter. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Your entire being. Not just what the dichotomist or the trichotomist want to argue is one portion. I'm a monist. Mind, body, soul, spirit are one. Hear, O Israel, I, the Lord your God, am one. I am created in the image and likeness of God. Therefore, I don't need to parse out what it is that is in me because if you remove any part of me, I'm no longer the one God created. It's kind of like His attributes. If you try to take one away, He's no longer God. You try to take one away from me, I'm no longer Matthew. Peter says that these things, these passions of the flesh, wage war against your very being. 
Your soul. The thing that God can destroy in hell. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. That's a tough one. Keep your conduct among the ethne. This really is a word that's badly translated. This should say nations. Unbelieving people. Because this letter was written to a large group of Gentiles. So Peter says, keep your conduct among the ethne, the nations who do not yet know the gospel of God. Keep it honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is a powerful portion of the text. Just these two verses. Because it's here in the opening of verse 11 that the pastoral heart of the Apostle Peter actually comes full view for us. Peter wasn't just walking around going, I'm an apostle. Listen to me. Like so many modern day apostles. That's not Peter. Peter's not walking around saying, I'm an elder. Well, Matty writes that in his letter. You're absolutely right. He does. At the end, after he's already explained everything to the beloved, if he ever had a reason to push his status, it would be in this section where he's getting ready to offer all types of imperatives in the follow-on. But he doesn't do that. Beloved, he lays a level playing field. The pastoral heart of the apostle comes into full focus in the opening of verse 11. When he writes, Beloved, I urge you. I urge you. How many of us speak to one another like this? How many of us look at the ones we love and say, I urge you to do, etc., etc.? Now, New Testament scholar Dennis Edwards spotlights the reality that this is the first time in the letter that Peter chooses to speak in the first person. Now, why is that important? Why would we highlight that aspect? Well, like I said, we're in week 12. We have 11 weeks in the bank. And at this point in the letter, this is the first time Peter has the conviction to say, I think I need to address them personally. So that's important because now Peter is personally addressing the beloved early church. Peter wants his audience to know that he cares. It's important that we know in our hearts and that we believe in our minds that those who are speaking to us and those who are listening to us, it's important that we know that they actually care. Nobody wants to sit and hear from someone who doesn't care about them. Nobody wants to pour their heart out to someone who isn't in right relationship with them. We crave this. Peter wants his audience to know that he actually cares. Why does Peter want them to know this? Well, because Peter knows that as a good shepherd, it's his responsibility to exercise healthy oversight. See chapter 5, verse 2 through 3. As a matter of fact, this intrinsic desire of Peter, this is a direct reflection of the heart of the Good Shepherd, our Chief Shepherd, Jesus the Messiah. Amen? 
Now let's challenge that claim that I just made. I need someone to stand up and read John chapter 21, verse 15 through 17. Who wants to do it? Yeah, in the back, Ethan? Let's do it, man. Stand up. Read it loud and proud for us. It's not going to be on here. Someone's going to have to open up their Bible. Give it to him if he doesn't have one with him. It's all right. We'll take a second. John chapter 21, verse 15 through 17. It doesn't matter what translation it's in. John chapter 21, verse 15 through 17. The words of the Master. Right there. For Peter, he could have no question. Feed and tend to the flock. This is shepherding language. It's not applicable anywhere else in the Agarian society that Peter lived in apart from the shepherd image. Tend and feed the flock. It's as if we can hear Jesus saying, Peter, I want you to offer evidence. Evidence that can be witnessed horizontally. That you love both God and humanity as you feed and tend to the sheep of my flock. Can you do that for me? Please, if you claim your love for me, do that. After reflecting on this, I had to ask myself, is AC squared, is our family are we aware of the fact that I am concerned with what it is that we choose to do? Because I am. I am concerned with what it is that we choose to do. Do you know that I care about the choices that you make, Deb Segal? Tom, you know that I care about the choices that you choose to make? You know that that care that I have is not just because of the love that I have for you, but it is because of the love that I have for your family. Do you care that I care? Josh, do you know that the choices that you make have the capacity to affect our family here at AC Squared in a massive way. You are our youth minister. And the next generation is looking at you and at your wife. The choices that you make. Marcy, the same thing goes for you. The choices that you make. I care about them because they have a drastic, um, they have the, the potential to drastically impact what it is that we're doing here at AC Squared. So I wonder, do you guys care that your choices have that potential? Amen.
This is how a healthy family talks to one another. They actually remind one another that the things that we do, the things that we say, the way that we think, it doesn't just affect the individual. In fact, it has just as much a great impact on the greater community. Saints, what we do matters, seen or unseen by the human eye. What we do matters, known or unknown by the human mind. It matters to God, therefore it must matter to us. As believers, we must understand that God has called us to live lives that are so drastically different from the cultural norms that unbelievers will be forced to observe how we live and by their observations of it, glorify God by coming to faith in Christ. Read the passage. It's right there. I need you guys to read it out loud for me. Peter says, I urge you to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Are we aware that the life we live is lived out on a battlefield? Or have we been mesmerized by the comforts of a first world lifestyle so much so that we have forgotten that as children of God, every time our feet hit the floor, we're engaged in battle. New Testament scholar Thomas Schreiner writes that the Christian life should never be viewed as passive. The Christian life must be viewed as an active pursuit of God. We are not a let go and let God kind of people around here. That's baloney. The desires of the flesh, which manifest themselves in the lives of, in the hearts of, and in the minds of believers are described in terms of warfare. Peter describes these desires as an enemy who desires to conquer and destroy both you and I. As modern students of the text, we need to realize that in this life, those of us who have the Spirit, we are not exempt from the desires of the flesh, which is why we need to wage War with them. This is the instruction of the Apostle. Now in a moment, we're going to attempt to define honorable conduct. Because Peter mentions honorable conduct. But first, I want to point out that once again, Peter has decided to utilize the negative-positive approach. For those of us who have been with us for the study, this is the third time that Peter has decided to use this strategy in his approach to communicating with the church. First he highlights the negative, then he references the positive. And it's always a perspective. Now Alan Stibbs observes that one half of the petition is negative, like I just mentioned, and the negative portion of the petition deals with one's private life. It is a demand for abstinence in personal living. 
The other half of the petition is positive, and it's connected to public life. It is a demand for behavior that is openly and recognizably virtuous in the eyes of all. Now, I love this dichotomy. Peter makes a distinction between the private and the public aspects of human life because they exist. And what does this teach us? Well, verse 11 and 12 teach us that our desires matter less than the actions that we take. So if I have a desire to do well, but then I don't do well, (laughs) the desire doesn't matter much in light of what I did. (laughs) Do we recognize that desires in the life of a Christian are not enough? God will judge us by what it is that we do. 1 Peter chapter 1. So our desires will not be enough when we stand before Him and be sure that the church will be judged first. 1 Peter chapter 5. Now we've already mentioned it. Peter is genuinely concerned with what it is that his audience has to do what they choose to do with what they have to do, and that my concern is the same as Peter's. Having offered some evidence, once again, that what we do in our lives and what we do with our bodies matters, let's take a moment to define honorable conduct. Because we can't actually live honorably if we don't know what honorable conduct is. I hate it when you go to church and someone is like, do this. And you're like, I have no idea what that looks like in a practical application. <laughs> I preached like that, the thing that I hate, for the entire Galatian series. Because I lacked experience. And now in the rearview mirror, I'm like, whoa. <laughs> the application portion, although it's difficult for me, is vital. <laughs> Honorable conduct is synonymous with virtuous deeds. Does everybody know what virtue is? Virtue is that which is upright in God's eyes. I like virtue more than I like moral or ethical because it's not really abused in our modern cultural context. Very, very often we hear about moral standards and ethical standards and a lack of objectivity in them. Rarely do we hear people talking about virtuous behavior. And it's important So honorable conduct is synonymous with virtuous deeds. One cannot practice that which is honorable or virtuous apart from exercising integrity. Why can we say this? Because integrity requires consistency in both our private and public lives. I.e., we need to be consistent with that which is done behind closed doors as much as that is which is done in the public view. We need to live a consistent life as Christians. Honorable conduct stands in opposition to the passions of the flesh. Peter uses honorable conduct as the antithesis of what it is that our flesh desires. Ultimately, honor and virtue will seek the greater good of others before its own. And we can say that because we define honorable conduct as virtuous behavior. And virtuous behavior is rooted in love. And how do we define love? Well, the text defines love as that which seeks the greater good of others before it seeks its own. 
because that's the love that God showed us. He put himself at great risk to the point of losing his life to prove that he loved us. Do we love one another that way? There is no greater love, Jesus says. Now Peter says, when they speak out against you, oh, and they will speak out against you. The context of the speaking out against in Peter's uh, in, the, in the life of Peter's audience is different than those who speak out against us in the context of our lives. But there are similarities nonetheless. And it is our job to cross the principalizing bridge from how it affected them to how we know it affects us. If they haven't spoken out against you because you're a Christian yet, just give it some time and they will. It is inevitable. So Peter says, let your testimony be grounded in what it is that you choose to do. In what it is that you choose to do. Francis Assisi says, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Now you get preachers like John Piper who are like, that's ridiculous. You can't preach the gospel if you don't speak. Francis Assisi dedicated his life to speaking and writing, John. Wake up, bro! Don't divorce what he writes from what he lives like, right? The miracle worker from the miracle. Are you kidding me? Shut up, dude! We're not that stupid! It might sound cool, but it makes no sense! And Peter would disagree with you, Mr. Piper! Read 1 Peter! It's when we want the rhetoric of what it is that we say to overcome the substantive matter of what we should say. Well, I don't like him because he's a Roman Catholic, so I'm just going to berate him. Well, that's dumb. That's not loving one another purely, right? Like Peter talks about in 1 Peter chapter 1. So just because you see a pastor doing it doesn't mean it's okay. Trust me, I do a whole lot of things that you guys shouldn't do. Ask my wife. I'll tell you all about it. <laughs> a statement like this, let your testimony be grounded in what you choose to do, this statement can only be properly applied to those who actively choose to consistently keep their conduct honorable. It doesn't mean be perfect. It means strive towards honorable conduct consistently. How is your life described? Is it consistent or is it inconsistent? Is it consistent and dishonorable? Is it consistent and honorable? These are only questions you guys can answer. In a sense, life for us is not much different than it was for them. Now, William Barclay teaches us that slanderous charges were continually being made against the early church. And we have talked at length about this in earlier episodes of the sermon series. People in the first century got saved. They divorced themselves from uh, the worship of Caesar. They got saved. And they began to step back from temple practice in a pagan sense. And people were like, you can't do this. These are the traditions of the fathers. And they're like, yeah, and that's what Peter says I'm not supposed to be enslaved to. That is ignorance. You think that wins you favoritism in an honor-shame culture? It doesn't when you, sh it doesn't when you favor in the first century, uh, like first world country like America. 
The only effective way to refute the slanderous claims of those who have it out for you is to live lives so lovely that in the end the charges prove to be untrue. That's it. You don't have to say a single word. Just let them watch your life. But it's harder to live it and be about it than it is to speak about it. Right, church? Do we understand what this requires of us? This requires the blood-bought child of God to engage, to press in, to be a witness. Withdrawal and isolation is not an option for those of us who call on God as Father. Peter's encouragement is to stand fast in the face of opposition knowing that our Christian witness will stand or fall on the quality of goodness unbelievers observe within the Christian community. They're watching us. And they love it when we suck at imaging God. We are the chief reason why people lack faith in God. This is why Peter is ultimately concerned with what we do, church. It's why he writes that honorable conduct, our good deeds, the things that can be seen by others, it's these things, Peter says, that in the end, they may actually cause the lost to give God glory. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, we don't have time to get into the difference of opinion on what it means to deal with the day of visitation. Right now, the focus is missional lifestyle, missiology. The words of Peter are grounded in the teachings of the Master. We proved it once, we're going to prove it again. Deb, do you have your Bible? Can you read Matthew chapter 5? Verse 13 through 16 for us, please. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. These words, thank you, Deb, these words are saturated in the teachings of our Master. As a matter of fact, they come straight out of the Sermon on the Mount. This is Peter's paraphrase of what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5. You don't like the message version? Well, you might not like 1 Peter then when it comes to him giving you what it was that Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount. It's okay to paraphrase. Jesus taught it. Peter writes about it. And this morning, Leanna reminded us that our testimonies matter. <laughs> That's what Peter's saying here. What we choose to do matters. In the end, Peter did not summon the church to a verbal campaign of self-defense. 
He did not summon the church to a writing of tracts in which we defend our standards of morality against their standards of morality. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, Peter's hope is that unbelievers will glorify God because they see our good deeds. Your testimony matters. So when pastors like Vody Bauckham say, your testimony doesn't matter, in one ear and out the other. Because he forgot about this. That's right. It's not that everything he says is bad, but that's not good, Vody. It's actually anti it's the anti it's, it, it's antitextual. It's antithetical to what it is that Peter's writing. So for all the good teaching you have, chew and spit. Who said that? Tom? Amen. Mama bear spit. Yeah, you guys are reading that book right now. It's good. Peter was confident, as we are confident, because of Peter's confidence, that some unbelievers can and will be saved given the opportunity to see and experience the godliness of those who put their faith in Jesus. They're watching. Yes, it's true that those who hold a different worldview may revile us. It's likely that they will revile us. However, over time and through relationship, they will be forced to take, uh, to take notice of the honorable conduct on display in our lives. And when they take notice of that honorable conduct, maybe, just maybe, some of them will repent and turn to Jesus as a result of their faith in Christ. And you know what would happen if they did that? God would be glorified. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're digging through the text. We're exegeting the text and we're learning that what we do in our lives and what we do with our bodies matter. It doesn't just matter to God. It matters because the world is watching. And our message has to match our testimony. Our message has to match our lifestyle. Otherwise, our message is worthless. Salt worthy of being thrown out and trampled underfoot. So, we made it through two verses pretty quickly. If you gotta go, I understand you gotta go. But we're about to open up the microphone because I wanna show you what this looks like in a practical application. So Rob Woolsey, I told you you were an answer to prayer earlier. Come on up here, brother. This is not planned. This is how the church functions. Read Corinthians. I need a microphone. Here we go. Look, I just need you to be honest. All I need you to do is be honest. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You used to play in the music industry. You were a professional musician, weren't you? I was. The lifestyle that you led when you were a professional musician, did it honor God? No. Do you wage war sometimes now with those desires that you once gave your heart and mind to? Just played last night, absolutely. Amen! Just played last night. Give him a round of applause. He's in the mission field as a believer. Your life now is different than it was then, right? Absolutely. Amen. It better be or else your girlfriend's going to leave you, bro. <laughs> absolutely. 
Yeah. Oh, God's already made her a part of the process that has changed him. Trust me. Now, check this out. When you don't participate in the behavior with these musicians and with the fans that come to the shows that know you from back in the day, do they tease you sometimes? Maybe you're blessed not to be. They ask questions. They ask questions. Okay. So this is where the context shifts from the first century life to our life. See, we live in a free society. They did not live in a free society. They were under uh, the, the message of the, the, the Pax Romana era, peace at the tip of the spear of Rome. They were not a free people, but we are a free people. So this is where the context shifts a little bit. However, it's your testimony that causes them to do what? What did you just say? They what? Ask questions. What changed? What's different? There you go. And so it is your good deeds, I would say, that are on display that cause them to ask questions. I think that's fair. Questions demand answers, right? Yeah. Is your life and your testimony in the days ahead going to give a consistent message of honorable conduct before those who answer? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try real hard. Amen. Give them a round of applause. James Prim, come on up here, brother. Come on, bro. I got to be careful with this guy. He's a preacher, so you give him a microphone. You guys might be here until 6 o'clock at night. Oh, gosh. <laughs> okay, so you have a YouTube channel. Yes. So you are a, um, a, a social media influencer. Something like that. Okay. Is your YouTube channel a Christian channel? It is. It is? Yep. All right, so we're going to deviate just a little bit from the immediate context of this. I want to know, does the church ever revile you for your positions that you take? Christians being mean to other Christians? <laughs> I've never heard of such a thing. No, there's plenty of times where just having a different opinion or calling out something that's wrong gives me a lot of hate. Yeah. 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 Regardless of the hate that you get from the church, and I'm sure that there are non-believers who view your content, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 They, do they call you crazy, think you're nuts, whatever? Yeah. No, they, well, I had one atheist say, you're, the, you're my favorite Christian so far, so that was cool. There you go. Yeah. So there you go. There's the evidence. Honorable conduct on his platform, as Peter demands. And what does the atheist do? The atheist says, you're my what? Favorite Christian. You're my favorite Christian. (laughs) You know that Paul writes in Corinthians that one plants and one waters, and what? God brings the growth. This implies that it takes time to evangelize the lost. We are required to make an investment in the lives of the lost. Why? Because God has made an investment in our lives. We therefore need to image him. And because of the investment he's made in our lives, we need to make the investment in their lives. Give them a round of applause. You know you shouldn't have gave me this mic, Matt. I got one thing to (laughs) add. I got one thing to add. This is really convicting me because there's so many times where I fall in some of the things that I fight against. I think we all do. Amen. You know, and so I was just thinking as I was listening to this, I was like, man, you know, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. In public, this feels really easy to do, Mm -hmm. but I felt like sometimes in private, that's where I can really fall and that we constantly have to come back and ask God to help us there because my YouTube channel, that is a great way to display what God is doing and it's really good to have my words perfect and be like, yeah, I'm not doing this and this, but I'm not going to be like, yeah, well, I struggle here, and I did this that one time, and I said that thing to that cashier that I kind of regret, but he was kind of dumb. But <laughs> this here is something that is just really speaking me today, because I think we are constantly waging war for our souls, constantly. Yeah. 
And so this is just a really good reminder that even though sometimes I'm on stage here and I might preach to you guys, I struggle in many of these areas as well. And it's just a good reminder. Amen. That's right. See, Carl, can I get you to come up here real quick? I was praying for boldness and courage for every person that I was calling on because I don't notify them of this. Look, I said it this morning. This is not my pulpit. This is our pulpit. And the gifts of the Spirit are for everyone. And I, I'm asking Carl to come up here this morning because uh, our body is a young body. We're a, a young church. And, and I'm not saying that you are old by any means. What I'm saying is that you bring more experience to the table than I do when it comes to life in the workforce. And because you bring more experience to life in the workforce than I do, it would behoove me to listen to what it is that God has poured into you, wisdom-wise, your experience and all of these things. So I just want to ask you, like, we read this, I don't want us to fall prey to the idea that if we are always good, everyone's going to get saved. Right? That, that would be, a, that would be a, a fallacious thing to buy into. The fact that if I live an honorable life, all of those who witness my honorable conduct are going to get saved because that's not how it works. So I don't want to paint this picture that is a false image. I want to make sure that I bring tension to what it is that I'm preaching this morning. And I just wanted to do that with you. You've been in the workforce for longer than I have. Is the workforce favorable toward Christians? No. <laughs> not generally, no. Not generally, not in your experience. No. And you've worked outside of Alaska, up on the slope too. You've uh, traveled a lot, right? Yeah. Worked all over the world. Pretty so, much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I just, I, I want to ask you if you can just give me, give us a word of wisdom as to what it looks like to persevere when we are suffering for our faith, knowing that we are living honorable, but we're not seeing the fruit of an honorable life. What, what, what would you say about that? Um, read this verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. If, I'm there sorry. You, there you go. You're good? <laughs> So a lot, of, uh, a lot of groups, especially where there's no godly influence, if people can't see the difference between the good and the bad, if they don't see what they're doing is bad, how do they know to change? It's, um, I think, impossible for someone to better themselves unless they see their, their faults. How do you do that? Mm -hmm. You don't know you're wrong. How do you do that? So we are that vision that uh, example to them that okay this is good this is bad and and hopefully uh, some well hopefully all but reality some may see that mm, I'm not that great what has he got that I don't what can I do different and stuff so that's how I see the job amen give him a round of applause I was going to pick on my wife, but I just looked at the time, and we are at 11.45, so I'm just going to ask the general consi uh, the consensus of the room. Do you guys want to hear from my wife, or do you want me to close it out? Okay, come on up, Cal. Like we said, if you guys got to bounce, bounce. Come on up, babe. 
The people have spoken. Love seeks the greater good of the other, not oneself. So come on up here and love on these people. The reason that I wanted to, is this on? The reason that I wanted to bring my wife up here is because in my, in, in my life, she specializes in this area. Now, for those of you who don't know, my wife is a bartender, okay? And like I said in, in, in the testimony uh, video that played weeks ago and, and, and throughout this sermon series, uh, we were saved in that scene, we were saved and God asked us to stay there so that his light could so shine. Yeah. Most of the time I said God asks us to go, but he didn't have to ask us to go because we were already there. And he said, not only am I going to save you, but I'm going to sustain you as I sanctify you. And I'm going to force all of these people to watch my transformation power unfold in your life. And so we're not suggesting that anybody go do what my wife does. But we are absolutely, um, uh, we take very seriously the reality that we need to be obedient to what God has called us individually to do. And we know that God has called my wife to do this. She worked downtown for almost a decade. Um, and now she's not working downtown anymore and she's working in a restaurant. But I just wanted to ask you, in your life, um, through your mission work in the bar, right, in the pub, have you seen people who were enslaved to sin and dead in their trespasses come to life in Christ? Many. Many. Can you just tell us maybe one story of how that happened from your perspective? Um, our friend Phil. We met Phil while working in the bar and he was really well known uh, in our community, and by our community, I mean within the community of the bar scene. Like the service industry. Yeah. Area, yeah. He, not just service industry, I mean, he was well known in Anchorage. He had a video platform. Yeah. Uh, Worked with the news too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He would help out with the local news as well. And um, I, I honestly don't remember. A slow transition I just remember seeing him come to heart of the city mm -hmm. out of nowhere and and then at first I guess he I, I thought he was uh, recording for whatever purpose just there to record but then he was there every week and then he started bringing more and more people that we knew from our uh, community to church and and then years go by in fact it was only a couple years ago when he and his wife were at our house and he kind of shared a little bit about that about how he had grown up in a very charismatic fundamental church that pushed him away from wanting to be a part of that and seeing our example being at the bar but not participating with what was happening at the bar being set apart from those that we loved mm -hmm. at the bar he noticed the difference he saw right? the difference yeah. in us and wanted to know more of that because he had not experienced that 
growing up. I never shared the gospel with him, did you? I don't think I did. <laughs> so, you know, this is just one story of many that my wife could tell you of someone who was literally snatched from the fire, to borrow Jude's language, in the pub where the enemy would least expect a missionary to be active. And here's the deal. I don't know if you caught it when she said it, but when Phil started to come to church, he started to bring more and more people with him, people that we never could have got to come. Well, so we, as one... We, what were our nicknames? Yeah. We were nicknamed by Chris and Charity at Heart of the City, the fourth, fourth Avenue Evangelists, yeah. because we would bring so many people with us, more through our example yeah. and loving people in that environment where you wouldn't expect and, and you don't see often Christians first in that environment, but also loving the people yeah. within it. Give her a round of applause. If I had time, I'd bring Josh Maxwell up here and talk to him about what life was like in the news industry as a Christian. But I'll tell you what, the church bought donuts, cut them in half so that the kids could have two and the adults could have one. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, stick around. Talk to Josh Maxwell and ask him what his life was like as an individual who was striving to live honorably before God and having to deal with the agenda of the current cultural norms. Not easy, right, Josh? I'll bring him up next time. But here's the deal. It's just as important for you guys to talk to him as it is for him to talk to you and for us to talk to one another. Remember, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the proclamation of the magnificence of God as he transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his marvelous light. Everybody here has a testimony like that. Everybody here has a story like that. And we need to know the story of God's glory in one another's lives. We said that like six weeks ago. And so here's, you shared a little bit of your story today. Everybody got to share a little bit of their story today. There's time now, if your schedule allows for it, to grab a cup of coffee. It's the Spirit of God. The coffee has never not been made, but today when we need it at the end of the service to go with the donuts, it wasn't ready when everybody walked in. So now you can grab your cup of coffee, dunk your donut in there, and talk to somebody you love about how God has graciously redeemed them and how He's using them to change and transform the community that we live in. Amen? All right, let me close this in a word of prayer. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank you for how your word comes to life in our lives. Thank you that you have put people in our family who can proclaim the story of your glory historically the way the text describes it and who can simultaneously proclaim the story of your glory as it has unfolded in their lives and not skip a beat. So Lord, we thank you for what it is that you're doing, what it is that you're producing in our body here, and we ask that you would protect us and give us more of it keep us humble lord as we strive to serve you obediently we know that our love for you is a byproduct of your love for us and we thank you for that love for that grace and that mercy in jesus name amen let's love on one another